Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 20th, 2018. We are still here in San Diego at Comic-Con, and uh, day two has just ended, or actually, I guess, day one, because yesterday was preview night. Uh, on this podcast, you'll hear me talking to Brian Young about the Star Wars, the Clone Wars 10th anniversary panel I'll be talking to Brad Omen about The Predator and Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Chris Evangelista is going to talk to us about Breaking Bad's anniversary panel, Better Call Saul, and the Castle Rock experience. And Slash Home Managing Editor Jacob Hall is going to join us to talk about YouTube's origin, the John Barrowman experience, Night Flyers, Van Helsing, Z Nation, in Brooklyn Nine Nine, so we have a loaded show. It's got. It's, we're probably going to go over the time limit. So join us as we geek out over what we've been watching at Comic Con in San Diego. First up, I am here with Brian Young, our Star Wars expert and also a writer for StarWars.com and a bunch of other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, covering Star Wars for uh, a lot of different places, and uh, I really like writing about Star Wars. Yes, and we just got out of the Clone Wars, the 10th anniversary celebration, uh, a panel that was uh, filled with concept art, sketches from Dave Filoni, uh, showing us and getting an inside look into the making of 
that animated series that's beloved, uh, but was canceled short. Yeah, yeah, and um, the panel was great in that it it started with the very first uh, moving images they ever showed a public audience, Clone Wars, and ended with brand new stuff. Yes, before we get to that, okay, because that, that is interesting. Uh, did you know all that all that about that um, the story conference? They showed these images from the story conference. The, they spent two weeks at Skywalker Ranch with George Lucas, nailing down the first what twenty the twenty the first twenty six episodes yeah. and this was before they had anyone that was going to buy the series so it was just George saying I'd like to make this series and we're going to make it which is why I think the first season has a little bit of a patchy quality because they were all looking at what sorts of stories they could tell and it smoothed out as they realized what they liked doing more than other things yeah it was cool seeing them with the whiteboards and George there yeah. and like I think Filoni said that they had to figure out basically three episodes a day. And yeah. my favorite thing he said, it was like they were sleeping at Skywalker Ranch in between uh, because they were staying there for two weeks. And at night they were spending their time trying to like figure out ways to convince George not to do the stuff that they were not interested in uh, him doing. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Dave <laughs> Davis told stories before about how when uh, George proposed, like, well, we're going to bring Darth Maul back. And Dave Filoni was like, what, what, how are we gonna do that? And he's just like, we just are. And it was like, they just couldn't talk him out of it. And then it turned out to be a really great thing, but I imagine yeah. those early story conferences were very much like that, where George would come up and say, hey, we're doing this, and everybody would go, what, how, why? Yeah, we saw some alternate spaceship designs, uh, character designs, uh, arcs that were planned out that never got to come to pass because the show was yeah. canceled. Yeah, so, so we saw some pictures from a, a, an arc with Yoda on Kashyyyk, which would, reference his line in Revenge of the Sith about having a good relation with the Wookiees, uh, or good, uh, a good relationship with the Wookiees. Um, and we saw some stuff about uh, Dark Disciple, uh, which was the Asajj Ventress art that eventually turned into that book that was eight episodes. Uh, and uh, a lot of stuff that would have been in this, this final season. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get photos of uh, a lot of that, so that'll be on SlashFilm.com. But I, people aren't here to hear about the past. They want to hear about the future. At the end of this panel, Dave Filoni presented us with a present, is what he called it. Yeah. And what it was, uh, I mean, people are going to be able to see it online by the time you hear this, but it was a trailer for The Clone Wars. So what is this, a new season? So, it's 12 episodes from what I hear. Yeah, so it, it looks like it's going to be 12 episodes of stories they didn't finish. The stuff they showed us looks like it's the prelude to the Siege of Mandalore, which is... Uh, events that have only been hinted at so far in the canon in the Ahsoka novel, where Ahsoka's going to face off with, with Darth Maul. They showed us some production art from that, and as they showed us that art, uh, Dave was being very coy about, like, well, this was all early stages, it never got done, and then he shows us some finished animation from those same episodes. He's, he's a sly guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the reaction in that room yeah. was just insane. Now, I'm a big Rebels fan. I, I've only watched... Uh, couple dozen episodes of Clone Wars. I have not watched the whole series. I, I, it's yeah. one of my weak spots. The only weak spot, I think, other than the novels. I, yeah. There's a lot of the novels I haven't watched. How, how did that... So they played the clip of Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. For someone who hasn't seen a whole lot of Clone Wars and has been attached to Ahsoka and Rebels, how did that work for you? Oh, that was so emotional. Yeah. Uh, you know, it makes me want to go back and watch the thing. But now seeing this, and especially seeing this, because now I want to... You know, they're jumping into... Like, this isn't doesn't seem like it's weird because this is going to be on the Disney streaming service, which yeah. still doesn't have a name. Is this going to be like 
what, six season? Six? This would so be seven. So, seven. So, so it ended with season five on Disney XD. It ended with season five on Disney XD. On Cartoon no, Network. No, on Cartoon Network. They canceled it. Uh, and then they put out the sixth sort of half season on Netflix. Uh, and they called those the Lost Missions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this is going to follow up after that. So I guess this would be season seven. So do you think... Like, I mean, we don't know much about this, but it seemed to me, looking at this trailer, especially this trailer's to appeal to the fans. They're at a 10th anniversary panel. Yeah. But it seemed to me like it's jumping you right in there, and it's almost like this is season seven. Yeah. Or do you think this is going to, like, try to, like, people can jump into this without having... I don't know. I mean, like, it, well, it. it's possible. You know, you notice in the animation they've jumped to a Revenge of the Sith. Everything looks very Revenge of the Sith. All the, the models look much older for Anakin and Obi-Wan, so it looks like they've jumped a little bit of time. And the animation quality looks so much better. Yes. So, uh, but it's but it's similar. It's the same yeah. It's the same vein. It's that next step in evolution. I wonder how much they've learned on Rebels that they're bringing back to Clone Wars now and how much better this is going to look. Um, well, very cool. So I, it, I, I assume you're excited about oh, this. Oh, beyond, beyond. Yeah. I no. can't wait. Like, the, the Siege of Mandalore is one of those things that... that I've just wanted to see because that's Ahsoka's story during Order 66. And like how like how does she get out of that? There's so many questions about how she gets through that to go onto the run so that we can see her in Rebels that they're just all unanswered questions and I really really need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I needed it, but apparently I do. Yeah. So thank you so much for jo- joining me for this. Oh, no problem. Anytime. I'm with Brad Omen who today saw two things so far. He saw The Predator, a panel for The Predator, the new Shane Black movie, and a panel for the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, So, Brad, let's start off with what everybody wants to know. Is the new Ninja Turtles show good? Um, I mean, uh, I'm not, like, over the moon for it or anything, but I will say it's it looks pretty cool. Like, I mean, you know, if... How does it look different from what we've seen in the past? Well, it's extremely different. I mean, the style is much more frenetic and fast-paced. It's uh, very similar to that of Samurai Jack in animation style. has an anime influence, uh, lots of jagged edges uh, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, sharp angles and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the turtles have definitely been given a makeover. Each of them is a different species of turtle now, so they have different traits instead of looking like the same turtle with different bandanas. Uh, they have new weapons that have mystical kind of powers. Um, the show's producers said they wanted to incorporate more of a, a Japanese fantasy kind of element into the show, um, which which is pretty cool. Uh, there's a whole new rogues gallery um, with a great cast um, voicing the villains. There's Lena Haiti and Reese Darby and uh, Sam Richardson and Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols. Vo- <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, they're, they have a, a crazy voice cast for the new villains that they just announced at the panel today. Uh, they released a new- Wait, with, with all these new villains, does that mean that we're not going to get to see the classics like Shredder and the Foot Clan? And- Shredder's nowhere to be seen for now. There is uh, a Foot Clan. Um, Rob Paulson, who's actually a veteran Ninja Turtles voice actor, and he's also the uh, voice director for this new series, is voicing one of the members of the Foot Clan. Uh, there's four of them. But there's no, like, indication that Shredder is part of this new series, at least not yet. Uh, the main villain is Baron Draxum, who is this mutant warrior who wants to turn humankind into mutants. Uh, he's voiced by John Cena. 
Um, and yeah, he, and he does a pretty good job with the voice too. It doesn't exactly sound like John Cena. Like he goes into like a deeper register and he's, he sounds pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely not, uh, I feel like it's something classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fans might not like, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's not your daddy's Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more hip. It's a little bit more, um, wild, I guess you could say, but you know, like it, this is, Every generation has had a new version of the Ninja Turtles, and this is going to be the Ninja Turtles for a new set of kids who, you know, have heard about other, the other iterations of Ninja Turtles from their parents. And so it's it's not explicitly for adults. It's for kids, you know. Yeah. And as, you know, cheesy and hokey as it sounds, the producers said, you know, they wanted to make a show that they could both have fun making themselves and be that their own kids would enjoy, you know. And so it's difficult to find a balance like that when you're trying to please you know, a lot of fans who probably won't even tune in for more than a few episodes, and really, like, the kids are the ones who are going to watch the show, who are going to want the toys, who are going to tune in, you know, for every new episode, so it's, you know, it's Well, it's you fine. gotta, you gotta appeal, you gotta appease the adults enough so that they put it on the TV and subject their kids to it, and be like, you gotta watch this, I watched right. it as a kid, yeah. and then it's be cool and new that the kids actually want to watch it. Yeah, I think I think it it could be pretty cool. I I definitely wasn't completely turned off by it. Um, what kind of footage did they show? Uh, so they showed a clip from the pilot episode where they uh, face off seemingly for the first time with Baron Draxum, and it's got it's got a mix of you know comedy because the the turtles are. They're, um, they seem much more genuinely teenage-aged than they have in previous iterations, because previously the Turtles kind of always seemed like they were like in their early 20s, 20s kind yeah. of. This time, they feel like they're genuinely teenagers, and they're still kind of clumsy when it comes to using these new weapons that they have, because like, they're very powerful, and so there's some kind of slapstick elements of them getting thrown around and accidentally like <laughs> hurting the villain and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's 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 interesting, you know. It's it's not. Um, I wasn't blown away, but I definitely wasn't turned off by it. And there's a trailer online that is in your report, which is going to be on slashfilm.com by the time people are hearing this. So go check that out. But you also saw the panel for the 20th Century Fox movie, The Predator, by Shane Black. Uh, what was your impression? It's uh, it was definitely different than I was expecting, but not necessarily in a bad way uh, and it's mostly because the two clips that they played were very different from each other um the the first clip that they showed us from the movie was a scene in which some some kind of incident has already happened involving the predator and olivia munn is passed out on this hotel bed and all of the the ensemble cast of soldiers played by uh boyd holbrook and trevante rhodes and keegan michael key and um, uh, Augusto Aguilera and Thomas Jane they're all trying to situate stuff around her in the bed to make her feel like she's at ease when she, whenever she wakes up and so she finally does and she's kind of weirded out as to what's going on and like they're trying to like calm her down um, and she grabs a shotgun near the bed and like draws it to protect herself and they all just like all of a sudden they go whoa and they start laughing and <laughs> he's, like, he's like I told you she was going to grab that shotgun and they all like have a laugh about it and everything and so then, like, they have... So it's much more in, like, the vein of, like, Shane Black's comedies. Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, from there, from there, there's, like, you know, extended, like, um, witty, fast-talking banter and dialogue. Oh, you know, overlapping sentences where they're all just joking around with each other and really quick lines. And then interspersed with that is some exposition about, like, what is happening. And, like, you know, you find out that Olivia Munn's the scientist and she's been working at this place that knows about alien life. And she tells them what this creature is that it's a predator 
but then like it, it goes it keeps going back and forth because when she says they call it a predator it, it, it hunts humans and then all of a sudden they're, they're like well wait a minute that that sounds more like a hunter not a predator and she's like yeah that's what i said i don't understand like why <laughs> and so and then there's thomas jane has uh tourette syndrome apparently so they have a, a yeah i heard people talking about this yeah. and they, they thought it was really funny that seems like a a very dangerous line for someone like Shane Black, who is, is not always PC, yeah, to ride is, on. It feels like a uh, the kind of throwback, not-so-PC humor that, like... Because there's some non-PC humor in the original yeah. Predator, but, of course, that's kind of a product of its time. And, like, th- yeah, this is kind of a weird thing where Thomas Jane has Tourette's, and, like, uh, he... <laughs> when Olivia Munn tries to leave the hotel... He says, uh, he, he says, eat your pussy. And then, like, and then, he, and then he quickly takes a drink. And Olivia Munn's like, did you just say eat your pussy? And she's like, he's like, no, no, I said, geez, you're pushy. And, like, then, then there's, like, this whole thing where they're all trying to, like, figure out, like, what, like, whether he's telling the truth. And she's, she's like, no, no, I'm pretty sure you said eat your pussy. And he's like, no, I definitely didn't, didn't say that. And it's just, it, there, it's such a weird back and forth. And it's very Shane Black, but... I, I was trying to picture in the middle of this movie that's supposed to be about, you know, the Predator, and it's just, it, it feels kind of weird, especially because the second clip they showed was purely sci-fi action, and we've seen part of this in the trailer, it's where uh, the masked Predator grabs Boyd Holbrook by the throat and throws him up against a wall, and then there's this arm that comes through the window where he's being held yeah. up against and tosses that Predator out, out into the parking lot, and it's this big mega Predator. And we saw the extended part of that scene where the mega predator just beats the living hell out of this smaller mass predator. Now, now how does the action look? Uh, it's it's cool. It's 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 uh, it's shot well. It's um it's it's exciting. You know you uh, the the mega predator looks very cool. He's he's bigger. He's muscular. Uh, does it look practical or does it look like it CG? Looks, it looks pretty good. There was um it, there was a couple quick things where you could tell maybe the effects weren't quite finished. And Shane Black even said there's because there's one final shot where after he kills that smaller predator that um he said he said the blood effects uh, aren't finished there. Like it, it'll actually there'll be more blood, the green blood of the predator. Yeah. Um and it's like so that wasn't that wasn't done. So there, I think there's some yeah. stuff they're still working on. But yeah, it was it was a cool sequence. Um, I'm interested to see how the the mega predator plays out they did talk more about as to like what exactly that mega predator is and basically it ties into the idea that there's this faction of predators who are kind of pissed off that they have basically sent two of their you know quote-unquote champions to earth and they haven't come back and so Uh. they've created this sort of uh superior assassin predator to go and you know, finish the job, I guess, or or like strike back or something like yeah. that. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's. It, I'm interested to see how the comedy that Shane Black has blends with, you know, the sci-fi action that you know people love from the original Predator, because uh, you know, with their the neither scene had influences from one or the other exactly. Yeah. And so I'm wondering how, what the juxtaposition is going to be like. You know, when they, when like that, those elements have to come together. You know, like is there going to be Wise cracking during the action scenes, like there, you know, is an Iron Man three. Or yeah, I was gonna or, say like Iron Man three has some action and comedy, but the comedy blends into the action, and it feels like here, the action might be too horrific. Yeah, to have uh, you know wise cracks. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's tough to tell because this scene didn't have any jokes that were cracked during the action. You know, it was uh, yeah. there were two very different scenes. So, 
Um, I'm. But are you more excited or less excited after seeing this footage from when seeing the trailer? I feel so. like I'm just as excited as I was before. Like I, I, did, I wasn't necessarily turned off. I'm more intrigued than anything. Just to like, I'm curious to see how it all comes together and and fleshes out into a full movie. Very cool. I am now here with Chris Evangelista, who experienced a bunch of different panels today, including Better Call Saul. Uh, Breaking Bad uh, reunion, and he uh, survived the Castle Rock experience. Yes, somehow I got through it. So uh, let, let's talk about first uh, the Castle Rock experience. So they have this thing at uh, Comic Con for those that haven't gone. They're called offsites or they're called activations, and they're basically like these pop up events that they kind of put on. Like they build like a house in the middle of a parking lot or or whatnot. Right. And there's uh, fun experiences. What is this Castle Rock experience? So yeah, this was it's it's built to look like a house, and it has a sign on the front that says Castle Rock Bed and Breakfast. And of course, this is all for the new Hulu show Castle Rock, which is set in the world of Stephen King. It's not an adaptation of any of his novels, but it just it takes place in a town he created, and there's a bunch of references to his books in the show. So. Um, uh, it was fun. It's it, this this experience is literally like if you've ever been to a haunted house around Halloween or at a carnival. That's what this is, where you go in. Uh, they put you, there's like a bunch, several doors, and you have to go through one door. And the one I went through was it themed in that they just played sound clips from the movie It, <laughs> and there was like a red balloon in the room. There was, it was not that 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 part was a little underwhelming. I was like, this is kind of this is gonna be bad. But then we went in. And uh, in the in the first episode of Castle Rock, there's a scene where a guy drives his car off a, a bluff into a into a, a lake. And, and it should be said, this is like the first minute of the show yeah, or something. It's, 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 also, not, it's not like a it's also in like all the trailers. Yeah. So, so the room you go into next makes it look like you're underwater, and they have like half the car sticking out of the ceiling. And I was like, oh, this is really neat. And then basically, you just go into a bunch of rooms, and all the rooms are they're not they're not straight recreations of scenes from the show but they're recreating certain ideas and moments from the show and it's over very quickly it was probably like like 10 minutes tops but it was fun if you and if you you like me have seen the first uh what four four episodes, four episodes. Right. so you understand these references right. would people who are here experience no. no no if you hadn't seen the show I mean, you'd probably still enjoy it as a, a creepy haunted house because, it, you know, it's a thing where people jump out and they're like, get out of my room! You know, stuff like that. <laughs> but if you haven't seen Castle Rock, you're not going to realize they're actually referencing stuff from the show. But I, maybe it's like, it'd be a fun after thing where if you did this and then you go and watch the show, you'd be like, oh, I, that was from the Castle Rock experience at, <laughs> at San Diego Comic-Con. But this is also one of those events that there's probably a line around the thing, probably like a two-hour wait or yeah, something. I got to surpay, you know, cause I, because I'm press and I'm special. They let me, because <laughs> there was a line waiting, and I walked up, and they were like, come right in. And I could tell <laughs> everyone waiting in line in the sun was furious, and I didn't, I didn't care. So if you had to wait an hour to experience this Castle Rock experience, and you're a big Stephen King fan, right. you like the series, would is that something you would have done? <sighs> Maybe because it's free like, even if you're not pressed you don't have to pay for it you don't even need a comic-con badge it's no, actually free yeah. so if you're yeah, like if you're in san diego this weekend and you have nothing to do <laughs> and you have an hour to kill to wait in line and you're a fan of stephen king i'd say it's worth it because 
it's neat. But again, it, I mean, there were like at the the start of the bed and breakfast, there's these two people playing a couple who run the bed and breakfast. And you could tell they're like professional actors who were really into it, and they were never breaking character. So it was fun, like you know, they're just they're just acting like creepy weirdos. And I was like, oh, this is fun. These guys are having a good time playing creepy weirdos. But yeah, it's not like you know. I'm glad I did it, but if I had never done it, I wouldn't be like, oh no, I missed the Castle Rock experience. Yeah, uh, we've been talking about this year at Comic Con how it's kind of a little bit underwhelming. Uh, today, the biggest panels, I think, at Comic-Con were the Breaking Bad panels. Breaking right. Bad and Better Call Saul. Right. Um, did it fill up the room? Uh, it was pretty full. I mean, you know, this is my first time at Comic-Con, and it was my first time in Hall H, so I was wor- I didn't know what to expect, but there were a lot of times there were, like, entire rows that were empty, which I was not expecting. I expected, like, every seat to be filled. But yeah. I, you know. But, um... Yeah, so first they did the Better Call Saul panel, which was all about the upcoming season. And it was it was fun, um, but there was nothing really newsworthy. It's, it's, you know, because I guess I didn't want to give away spoilers, but, you know, Vince Gilligan, the creator of the show, has been teasing since the beginning that we're going to eventually see more Breaking Bad characters on Better Call Saul, and that's literally... In, in last season, right. kind of uh, teased us that as right. well, ended... And so, pretty much the theme of this panel was, again, you're going to see some characters. But they, they didn't say who. But they just kept saying, you know, you're going to see some characters. They did. Vince Gilligan did. I love how you're doing a Vince Gilligan impression. <laughs> it sounds pretty accurate, too. <laughs> but but uh, I will say Vince Gilligan did confirm that Walter White and Jesse Pinkman will not appear in season four. So, I mean, oh, he, wow. he could be lying, but I don't think he No, nah, I don't think he's the type. To... So, if you're expecting them to pop up this season, that's not going to happen. But they did hammer home the point that you're going to see more and more Breaking so, Bad So, character. Walt Jr. Yes. <laughs> Walt Jr., maybe. Uh, I'm guessing, they didn't say this, but I'm guessing maybe, like, Hank will show up. Because if you're, you know, if you're a fan of both shows, you'll remember that in... Breaking Bad, Hank actually knows Saul Goodman. Like, he recognizes him. So they actually have a history. So sooner or later, he's going to have to show up. So my guess is he'll probably show up this season. But It's not like that actor is busy. Yeah, yeah. Dean Dean Norris (laughs) has the time. So, yeah. Uh, Okay, so Breaking Bad uh, reunion. It wasn't like a... Is it 10 years? No, it's not. Yeah, 10 years. 10 year reunion. Yeah, since it's ended. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. Um, or no, no. Since it no, started. Since it started. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was there? Uh, the whole cast was there. Um, I, I should add that Jonathan Banks, who was on Better Call Saul and Breaking Bay, was advertised as being there, but he did not show up because he is having knee surgery. So best of luck to you, Jonathan Banks, <laughs> and your knee surgery. But the whole main cast was, I mean, Brian Cranston was there, uh, Aaron Paul, literally the entire main cast of Breaking Bad was there. And of course, Bob Odenkirk, because he was there for the Saul panel. So, now, was I, obviously there's no, no news coming out of a panel like this. It's a retrospective. But was there any cool stories or anything interesting? I mean, it was fun to see them all together again. And it's clear they're all people who get along with each other well. But I will say, if you're a fan of this show, this panel did, did not provide anything new. Like... Like, if you were only a casual fan, you'd be like, oh, this is new to me. But, like, everything they talked about here has been stuff that has been brought up in the history of the show. Like, they brought up how 
uh, the original plan was to kill Jesse Pinkman at the end of season one, and they changed that. You know, so all stuff like that. No, I, I see that oftentimes with, like, filmmakers, like, um... You know, Steven Spielberg, whenever he talks about, like, Jaws, right. I hear the same right. five stories right. over and over again. It's just kind of frustrating because I want to hear, like, something, something new, new or something more yeah. uh, real yeah. than, like, you know, the PR kind of stories that have come yeah. to be. Um, was Did they play any footage or anything interesting like uh, that? They played the Better Call Saul trailer, which is online now, so everyone can see that. Yeah. And there was, like, a, a little montage at the beginning of Breaking Bad, which was just, you know your standard montage showing a bunch of clips from the show. And I have to admit, it was well done because I haven't watched Breaking Bad in years, and watching that montage made me want to actually go back and start rewatching it again. So that was cool. But again, there's nothing new. I think like the only real news they announced is that they're putting the, the show's Breaking Bad's soundtrack on vinyl, like, like select music, not like even like the whole thing. And that's it. And it's for sale now at the FYE somewhere here in, in Comic-Con. I, that, that's about it. That's the only real news that came out of this. Well, uh, people can read your reports from Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, and uh, we have photos of this uh, Castle Rock experience, or was it not something you I could... did take a few photos, so yeah, I can, I can upload those. Yeah, so we'll see. you can see those on SlashFilm.com. Uh, if, not, if they're not up now while you're listening to this podcast, they will be up... Uh, within the day thank you chris thanks next up we're talking to jacob hall who spent the majority of the day in the indigo ballroom checking out a bunch of panels including uh youtube origin john barrowman's one-man panel sci-fi night flyers van helsing z nation and brooklyn 99 wow this sounds like hell of a hell of a day this this is a trimmed down list peter we're not we, we cut a few panels that I, I, I suffered through just because they were the most boring ones. <laughs> it was a very long day. Okay, let's start off with the surprise because I don't think I would be interested in a show from YouTube called Origin. Yeah, neither was I. I was literally in here because I was trying to wait for a panel that I had to see for work. And I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, uh, Origin is a new show coming to YouTube Premium. Uh, you know, where they have Cobra Kai. So it's not like it's a... It's no longer a, a place to scoff at. YouTube Premium is becoming an actual thing. Uh, and this show is a uh, sci-fi horror series uh, with the first two episodes directed by Paul W.S. Anderson of Event Horizon, the Resident Evil movies. Not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson. Not, not at all. But Paul W.S. Anderson, I have a love-hate relationship with him. When he's good, he makes really good B-movie schlock. Like the best Resident Evil movies and the best, uh, or at least Event Horizon are all tons of fun. He's also made tons of garbage, so I was skeptical. But uh, they screened a, a new trailer and 12 minutes of footage. And this show is essentially Event Horizon meets Lost. It's a group of people wake up on the spaceship that's taken to a, a colony in the distant future. They discover that the ship's been abandoned. They've been left behind. And they're not alone on the ship. And this is a massive labyrinth of a ship. So, uh, and each episode is 60% them on the ship trying to survive and 40% flashing back to their lives on Earth and why they chose to leave on this voyage. So it's pretty much lost if the island was an evil spaceship. And the footage we saw was uh, hokey in ways I liked. Like, it has sort of a... Um, everybody's playing it deadly seriously, but it's uh, just B-movie enough while looking really slick and polished, which I guess Paul up his Anderson's thing. And it has... Um, People wandering around a dark spaceship, um, investigating, wondering what happened, 
and encountering all kinds of weird body horror. At one point, they encounter a guy who's infected with something, and his body starts contorting and doing the weird exorcist crab walk, and his eyes bulging out of his sockets. And it was a really, really cool, gross thing. And I don't know if the show can sustain an entire season of what we saw in this footage, but I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, Cobra Kai didn't get me to subscribe to YouTube Premium or, give the, or do the free trial, but I think I'm going to try it for Origin. Well, while you are trying it for Origin, Jacob, you should at least spend the five hours. Watch <laughs> Cobra Kai. Um, but, uh, okay, my, my big question here is that the, the concept seems compelling. Your pitch uh, seems to, I mean, it's gotten my interest. With a lot of these sci-fi shows, and especially shows on Sci-Fi Network, which I know this isn't the Sci-Fi Network, but, I don't know, YouTube might not even have the budget of Sci-Fi Network, <laughs> uh, the acting and the actors kind of like uh, are, are a wall between me and my enjoyment yeah. of the show. Is, is, is it going to be the same case here? No, they have real actors. Uh, the two main leads are um, Tom Felton from the Harry Potter series uh, and Natalia Tenna uh, from, also from Harry Potter and from Game of Thrones. And the rest of the cast is lesser known actors, but the acting I saw in the clips that they uh, screened was totally fine. And the show... And like I said, responding to about them not having a budget, this show looks expensive. It does not look like a cheap thing. It looks like it's um, on level of a stars or a Showtime um, type show. Um, it looks like YouTube is taking this very seriously. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how not cheap it looked. Okay, let's talk about John Barrowman's uh, one-man show. This is a guy that's in a lot of sci-fi uh, projects in like BBC kind of uh, th that kind of world. Uh He's a neighbor of mine. I have not seen any of his work. Uh, tell me about the show, because I heard it was highly entertaining. Yeah, uh, I've also not seen any of John Brownman's work, but he's been on Doctor Who and Torchwood and Arrow, and he's uh, just a sort of beloved geek icon. And what I was not aware of, because I had not seen his work, is that he's essentially a geek uh, LGBTQ icon, and his show is pretty much him... Uh, and it's a one-man show. The first half of him is him doing such a stand-up comedy routine. The second half is him taking questions, uh, Kevin Smith style, and being as entertaining as possible with his answers. And it's just the, the gayest Comic-Con it's ever been. <laughs> and I loved it. He came out in high heels in a woman's Captain America costume. <laughs> and uh, he sang like songs he'd written, like dead serious songs about love and finding and accepting yourself. Um, and he like answered Doctor Who questions and made tons of dick jokes. And just like... The crowd lit up. The crowd loved him. People who, like people in the Q and A line, people who've been apparently coming to his one man show at Comic Con for years because they were running jokes I did not get, and it was so funny and he was so charming and the whole experience was so positive, uh, and I guess like we we sometimes uh, geek culture can be so toxic sometimes that to have um this incredibly gay man go up on stage and and, and remind us that this is a culture for people who are different and people who feel like they've not been accepted finding a world which they belong it was really special and really funny and god it was so gay i mean in the best possible <laughs> way i loved it i loved it loved it loved it your description of this makes me want to go back and explore some of uh john's work maybe torchwood would be probably the place for me to, to yeah. start i know that torchwood has a lot of uh gay themes and gay characters which was a big deal when it first happened because it was less common back then um but I know that in, on Torchwood he plays a very deadly serious character, whereas on stage he's just camping it up and having so much fun. So. Okay, let's move on to Night Flyers. This is the sci-fi show from Game of Thrones creator George R.R. R. Martin, right? Uh, yes, uh, and interestingly, 
this was the second evil spaceship TV show I saw at Comic-Con today. <laughs> but whereas uh, Origin was sort of a um, uh, lost riff uh, that had sort of a, a B-movie vibe to it, Night Flyers, which is sci-fi production, looks super polished, extremely scary, and uh, it looks... Well, in my write-up, which you can read on the site, I, can, I said, what if The Shining but in outer space? And it has that sort of cold, precise, terrifying vibe. And we saw a new trailer. We saw the opening scene from the first episode. And um, it, if, you, if you've seen Channel Zero on, on sci-fi, uh, you'll know that sci-fi tends to have, like, junk. But then they have stuff that's, like, really well-made, really cinematic, really polished. And this show looks expensive. It has these massive practical sets. It has really good actors, like Gretchen Mull uh, is, is the lead in it. And it just... I was kind of blown away by this footage. And... I'm going to talk about the footage they screen because it's literally the opening scene in the first episode. And this could be a mild spoiler warning for people who are super sensitive. Because literally the opening scene of, of the show is the spaceship, which is on a journey further than mankind's ever been to make alien contact with aliens to save the Earth. The ship's been destroyed, practically everything's a wreck. Um, gravity's been disabled. The artificial gravity's been disabled. Gretchen Mole is recording a message to send out in the space saying, Do not come for us. Do not rescue us. Do not return our ship to Earth. Into being hunted through a spaceship by a maniac with an axe. And when, <laughs> and when she escapes, she cuts her own throat and dies. And the rest of the show is a flashback explaining how they got to this point. So it, wow. it, looks, it looks terrifying. It looks violent. It looks creepy. They talk about how they wanted to combine uh, The Shining with Alien with Skills and Space Odyssey. And it looks wild. And George R. R. Martin wasn't there. Uh, but his fingerprints are, are all over. I've not read the novella that's based on what she wrote long before Game of Thrones, uh, but they, they joked about how it's a Game of Thrones. It's definitely a George R. R. Martin show because the show has a huge cast and they film in Ireland, but every single week they say goodbye to more people because the show eats through its cast members and kills them off so fast <laughs> that they had to dwindle through it. And I was so impressed by this. And um, of, all the, all, of all the new stuff I saw at Comic-Con today, this is the one that left me most excited. It looks grim and gruesome and sort of like if somebody if somebody put the Overlook Hotel in space, this is what it would look like. I'm very excited. I don't know why, but I I did not expect this reaction. I expected this to be like, oh, this is a typical sci-fi uh, network show. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm shocked that you are this excited for it. Yeah, maybe I would be shocked if I hadn't seen Channel Zero, which is like I said, the show I keep on thinking of because sci-fi as a network leans on so much low budget junk. And then they'll like turn around and say, "Oh, here's something really special and really cinematic." And I'm and like, "Like, why, where did this come from?" Like, even the Expanse, which they recently canceled, the Amazon rescued, was a show that looked like a super polished, big budget affair. Oh, yeah, the visual effects on that show were yeah. unlike anything I've seen on you know net, like uh, cable, yeah, uh, sci-fi TV. So, I think sci-fi is a bit of identity crisis. I, I'm not sure if they know if they want to be right now. And but I hope Night Flyers is a sign that they're like looking back at Battlestar Galactica and shows from that era and saying, oh, remember when people took us seriously? For like five <laughs> minutes? So, Okay, let's, let's go in the complete opposite direction here. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the, this show, Van Helsing. Yes, speaking of the other type of sci-fi show, this is the sci-fi block. They fought Night Flyers with two more sci-fi shows. First, which was Van Helsing, which I've never seen, and based on this panel, I never will watch. <laughs> uh, the basic gist is, the female descendant of Van Helsing, the vampire hunter from Bram Stoker's Dracula, fights vampires, lots of bad CGI, lots of bad makeup, lots of really campy performances. And based on the crowd reaction, it has a 
a sizable following of people who seem to really dig on it, so I don't want to be too mean. But n- imagine Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but without the wit. But, but, but with all the low-budget effects and makeup. It's kind wait, of like wait, wait, isn't that the appeal of Buffy? The, the wit and the characterization? Exactly. Uh, Buffy is in... Well, it was intentionally... It was a show where uh, Josh Whedon and company said, okay, we have no money, our vampires look like garbage, our special effects are garbage, so let's fill this with characters and dialogue and storytelling that is so raw, emotional, and funny that she can forgive all of that. And the footage from Van Helsing, I only saw low-budget nonsense. And it's may, a, maybe it's so great. It's the anti-Buffy. Yeah. Maybe it's great. Maybe I'm being super mean for a really good show, but nothing in this panel convinced me this was something I needed to watch. Okay. Uh, let's dig a little deeper. Z Nation. What is this? Oh, G- Jesus Christ, Peter. Um, Z Nation is um, <laughs> from the creators of Sharknado. I mean, you may as well talk about it. You sat through it, so. Yeah. Uh, the creators of Sharknado... Um, and pretty much it's sci-fi, it's, it's sci-fi's version of The Walking Dead, but made for pennies. <laughs> uh, and it, it's, apparently it's a season five. Oh, really? It's yes. been on for sci-fi? This, this shows how little I know. Yeah, they're teasing season five. It, this, way, this show's leading man is DJ Qualls. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's mean, that's mean. I think that's mean, right? It's a little mean, it's a little mean, yeah. Peter. Um, but let's face it, DJ Qualls is not... The leading man you expect for a zombie apocalypse story. I'm sure he's a nice person, but the footage we saw was really bad, and it looks that, that but short there must f- be fans of the show if it's on season five. Uh, I mean, or the expense enough. didn't make it that far, right? Yeah, the expense, expense is also super expensive, and this looks like it was made for a dollar per episode. <laughs> it looked so cheap, and at one point the producer said, "Well, we were we were going to premiere our new Sharknado trailer tomorrow on our Sharknado panel, but we're all here. Do you want to see it anyway?" And somehow the panel got worse. So, uh, so I got to see the premiere of the Sharknado 5 or 6 trailer, where the Sharknado <laughs> goes back in time. And I, I, I've been on the record before for hating Sharknado a lot. I think it's bottom-of-the-barrel entertainment, the worst possible thing out there. I think it, I, I hate it more than maybe any other piece of popular entertainment ever, ever conceived. Uh, and knowing that the same people made Z Nation really soured me on the whole thing, even before I saw how bad and cheap the whole thing looked. Okay, let's end this with a bang uh you're a big fan of brooklyn 99 you've talked about that on the podcast in the past uh it's one of your top things that was on your list when we were planning comic-con you're like my wife will not let me live in this house if i don't go to this brooklyn 99 <laughs> panel so how was it it was incredible uh the the, the entire there was not an empty seat in the house and the closest thing i can think of to compare it was last year um when I, saw, when I saw the Marvel panel in Hall H, there was a rock concert atmosphere where people were so energized that it was infectious and my ears hurt when it was over from all the cheering. And that happened with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, the audience was so into it. The, the, the uh, people on the panel were so excited to be there. Everybody was in sync. It was so much fun. I've never... It was... It made me realize that I like Comic Con after I, this day. <laughs> after sitting through Van Helsing and Z Nation and uh, some other panels that we're not even mentioning. Yes, <laughs> but it was it was most of the main cast. Uh, only Andre Brower wasn't there, and they talked about Andre Brower wouldn't show up to Comic Con anyway. But um, it was just as you may remember, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine was briefly canceled, then resurrected by NBC. So the, the mood was very celebratory. Everybody was very excited. And uh, the crowd was going wild for everybody. And it was the kind of panel where it was very loose. And I'll have a write-up about it uh, on the site tomorrow. But it's 
there was no real structure, not many revelations about season six, but everybody just seemed like happy to be there. Like the cast seemed to get along so well. They had such great energy and so much great chemistry. Uh, uh, and when they did the audience Q and A, which is usually the worst part of any Comic Con panel, and usually the worst part of any audience Q and A is when the question the questioner starts asking starts starts with a story starts with an anecdote saying here's why I'm a fan of your show which <laughs> normally I hate but Brooklyn Nine Nine it was just a series of people saying hey um, I'm bisexual and and your show made me f- accept who I am or I'm I'm a Latino woman the fact that there are two Latino women on on the show um, changed my life um, and people like were like go up there and, and engaging in like actual questions and conversations I didn't think I'd hear on a uh, comedy show. Like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is so casually diverse with its casting and, and the way it explores people's lifestyles and sexualities. Like, one girl went up there, and a teenage girl, and asked, will you ever tackle mental health issues? And they actually, and like they had, like, a really good response, saying, like, it's their responsibility, realizing that, that, that their show means so much to people and means so much representation, that they think about it and never want to half-ass it because they've been screwed up. They, they do a lot of damage. So even though it's a really funny panel... Um, the people who were in line and had stories and questions were people who connected with the show in a way that goes beyond thinking it's funny and goes and goes toward the show making them understand themselves and understand who they want to be. And everyone on the panel understood that and engaged with it in a way that I found really moving. So I, I laughed, I cried, I uh, all the emotions. <laughs> it was it was a really really wonderful time. It's interesting. Out of everything that's at Comic Con, a show like Brooklyn Nine Nine was. Uh, you know, that panel was something that captured fandom and the positivity of fandom that I think we all kind of got into this for, to be, be excited about something, to be unified and not, you know, divided. Yeah. Um, that's just really cool. Uh, well, thank you, Jacob. And uh, th- this is going to do the end of today's uh, coverage of Comic-Con. I, I want to thank everybody. Uh, I've been uh, stopped numerous times around San Diego uh, by various fans of the podcast and the site. Uh, I, I appreciate all the kind words and everything you have got, guys have said. Uh, and I hope uh, you are enjoying this co- coverage of Comic-Con uh, on the podcast and on the site. You can uh, check out everything we've talked about here in more depth on the podcast, uh, on the site, rather. Um, you can read full reports and uh, get more info on SlashFilm.com. This podcast is published every weekday, and in the case of this week, even on the weekend, uh, uh, on iTunes, all the popular podcast apps. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, send them to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, please, go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps us out quite a bit. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we will see you tomorrow.